Good morning. Welcome to our 10th Sunday morning service under lockdown conditions. I usually begin by saying it's good to see you, but of course I can't. I am, however, very much aware that you, the Kirkpatrick Church family, and some visiting friends have all gathered around various screens or are listening on the phone. And so I want to say thank you for joining in our worship. We'll be singing God's praise and we'll be listening to Bible teaching, praying together, we'll be enjoying fellowship, albeit at a distance. So I'll just have to imagine your smiling faces, I suppose. I hope you are still smiling. Some of us are studying the letter to the Philippians in our discipleship group. And probably the most striking thing about Paul's letter is its tone. It's so full of joy even though Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he was writing it. Rejoice in the Lord always, he wrote. And then he says, I'm going to repeat it. Rejoice. How come? How could he be so upbeat when under the ultimate lockdown conditions? The answer is he had the joy of the Lord. That's a deep gladness in his heart that all was well between him and his God. As John MacArthur wrote, no matter what difficulty, pain, disappointment, failure, rejection or other challenge one is facing, genuine joy remains because of that eternal well-being established by God's grace and salvation. Well, let's thank God together for the joy he gives. We're going to pray and after we pray we're going to rejoice together as we sing the joy of the Lord is my strength. First of all, let's pray. Father God, we're so glad that we're never isolated as far as you're concerned. Your Holy Spirit is our constant companion. And amazingly, there are no restrictions on us coming close to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. You've been well described in your word as the God of all comfort. So it's to you we turn now with thankfulness for this priceless privilege of calling you our Father. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, has made this possible by his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. And so we praise and adore him for his perfect love that rids us of our fear. We do confess that we haven't consistently honoured our Lord Jesus in our thoughts, or even by our words or deeds this past week. Forgive us, we pray, and by your Spirit mould us into the sort of followers and worshippers that bring you joy. It's our heartfelt wish that you'll take pleasure in our worship this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, boys and girls. We have a very special guest with us this morning. Look out for Keith Fitt. He's going to include a shout-out to winners from Leanne's Song Challenge a few weeks ago. And you also remember that Louise set you a challenge two weeks ago to write a psalm. Now, if you haven't already had a chance to do so, have a go at writing a psalm of your own. There's a worksheet you can use in Church Suite. And once you've finished, simply send it into Louise or to Claire, and we'll see if we can use some of those psalms you've written in some of our City of Love gatherings going forward. Now, after Keith Fitt has finished with us, we're going to sing it an enthusiastic and energetic song. So let's see if you can keep up with the actions. It's called Shine from the Inside Out. I know you know that one well. And then after that, Fiona will come and
read today's Bible passage to us. So, stand by for Keith Fitt. Ben's Keith Fit here. Hope everyone's doing our reads. We need to do a wee bit of a workout and reveal the winners of Leanne's Prayer Challenge. Are we? Our read, Ben's. I'm going to do some keepy-uppies. Now, I've been doing keepy-uppies for 20 years, so now what I'm talking about. Now, the first winners of Leanne's Prayer Challenge were Bryn and Jay Toppin. Well done, wee Ben's. Look at this. Amazing. And the next winners were Anna, Matthew, and Patrick Irwin. Well done. Get in. All right, Ben's. I'm going to do a wee bit of skipping. Get the heart rate up. All right. Pretty easy, this like. Anyone can do it at home. Right, the next winners of Leanne's Prayer Challenge were Claire and Emmeline Smith. Absolute belter. Proper belter. And then the next winner after that were Harriet Donaldson. Well done, Harriet. Proper brilliant. All right. There we go. I could do this forever. Let's see if I can get it a bit quicker. Hi. Oh, fantastic. Oh, oh dear. All right. Champion. Oh, didn't see you there, Benz. Just checking out my guns. Now I'm going to do a wee bit of weightlifting and I've got a little helper to come along. All right, Benz. Oh, check it out. Oh, my guns are being pumped today. Right, the next winners are Alfie and Lydia Scott. Well done, Ben. And also Ben, Caleb and Noel Maguire. Oh, get your reps in. Champion. Away, Ben's Final workout of the day. I'm pretty knackered right now. I'm going to do some press-ups. Are you ready? Oh. Right, the final two winners of Leanne's Prayer Challenge. Isabel, Emma, Andrew and Jack Conway. Well done, Baines. Getting the reps in. Get your chest down as far as you can. And then the final people who won Leanne's Prayer Challenge were Ella, Hannah, Jessica and McAteer. Proper brilliant, Baines, right. I'm proper knackered now, so I'm going to go to sleep in a bit, yeah. This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 10, verse 1, and then verses 12 to 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. It was 1997. I had just started my theological training at Regent College in Vancouver. And it was during the first term I was sitting in Church History One, a 12-week class telling the story of the Christian church from the time of the apostles right up to the Reformation. So that's 1,500 years of church history in 12 three-hour classes. Uh, there really only would be time for the biggest highlights in the history of the church. Knowing that that was the case, I couldn't believe my ears uh, when the professor started talking about Bangor, County Down, Northern Ireland. He was talking about a monastic mission centre sending out the earliest, some of the earliest Christian missionaries from Bangor across Europe. I elbowed my newfound Canadian friend in the ribs, the guy sitting beside me, and I said, that's where I'm from. Uh, by the way, if you're ever in northern Switzerland, uh, near Lake Constance, make a point of visiting St. Gallen, uh, the town formed or founded around about 1400 years ago by St. Gall, one of those missionaries sent out from Bangor. Or you might want to take the opportunity someday to visit the Abbey, Abbey at Bobbio in northern Italy. It was founded in 614 AD by the Irish monk St. Columbanus, also sent out from Bangor. It took Columbanus 15 years to complete his journey from Bangor to Bobbio. He travelled more than 4,000 miles, mostly on foot. These journeys of Columbanus and of Gaul and of others like them, they're quite staggering. And it seems to me they beg a question, why did they do it? Why did they leave home and travel all over their known world? What was it in their, their sense of their identity that made them do these things? These Irish monks and countless Christians before them and since have made journeys of this nature because they've understood their God-given identity. They knew that followers of Jesus Christ are people who send and are sent. That's what we're going to think about this morning in this next installment of our recommissioned series. We're people who send and are sent. I want us to notice a couple of things in God's word this morning. First of all, that we're people of ascending God and that therefore we must be ascending church. So let's think first of all about our sending God. If you read the Bible, you'll soon see that there's a lot of sending going on. All kinds of people and things sent to all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons. But whenever we focus on the many occasions when God is the one doing the sending, we see that he mostly sends for a couple of reasons. To speak and to save. When does God send to save? What are you talking about, Christoph? Well, there's Joseph for a start sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. When Joseph meets his brothers many years later, as a grown man in Egypt, in Egypt, he looks back on his trafficking into Egypt and he says to his brothers, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. Three times in Genesis 45, Joseph insists that even the sinful actions of his brothers are used by God to send him to Egypt. He's been sent so that he can save. Then 400 years later, God sends Moses. The same God who sent Joseph down into Egypt now sends Moses to bring his people up out of Egypt. Joseph saved his people from death by famine and Moses saves them from death by genocide. You might remember that moment when God sent Moses, commissioned him for his work. It's made famous by the burning bush. It's recorded for us in Exodus 3. Five times in six verses, God makes clear to Moses that he's sending him to Egypt to deliver his people from Pharaoh. Moses is sent by God. He's God's representative. Whatever Moses achieves, God has done. Moses is sent so that God can save. If you wanted, you could trace this theme of God sending to save right through the Bible and see how God sent many people many times to save his people. Of course, like all important biblical themes this one finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ no one has ever been sent with so clear a mission to save as Jesus his name even means God saves God sends so that he can save not everyone though sent from God was sent to save some were sent to speak even for those folks who were sent to speak, quite often the message that they were sent to share was a message of salvation. Either pointing, calling people back to the God who could save them or speaking to them of the future Jesus who was to come, the ultimate saviour. The folks that God sent to speak are often referred to as prophets. So Moses was the, the first of the great prophets. You might be familiar with some of the other names. Uh, there's Isaiah, there's Jeremiah. There's a famous passage in Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 6, where God asks, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responds by saying, Here am I, send me. He does so only after he's confessed his own sinfulness and God's purified his lips. For another of the major prophets, Jeremiah, it's his youth, his youthfulness that threatens to disqualify him from answering God's call. But again, God overcomes the obstacle and tells him, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. When we look at these sending passages where God sends his prophets, we see that nobody's too sinful to be sent and nobody's too young. We've seen then with this whistle-stop tour of the Bible that our God is ascending God. We've seen that at Kirkpatrick Memorial over these years. Early in my time, God sent Rachel Aiken, then young, 
to work for Christians in Sport in Oxford before bringing her home to continue the same work here in Northern Ireland. Catherine Rainey continues to work with Christians in Sport in England. Do you remember how God called, sent David and Pam McCullough to Malawi to work with Scripture Union there before bringing them back to Ireland to work in parish ministry in Kilkeel? He sent Stephen and Laura Coulter to work in Nepal. He sent Mark and Caroline Welsh to Central Asia. And he sent Monty and Gwen to work with students across Europe. Many other people have been sent here on all sorts of mission trips and teams. At Kirkpatrick Memorial, we know that our God is a sending God. This truth that our God's a sending God has huge implications for our church It means that our church makes a priority of of partnering with God in his sending work. And we do this in two particular ways. We're keen to make available people and pounds. Let me talk about pounds for a second. Whenever you get a copy of our annual financial statements, you'll see there that our biggest expenditure after staff costs and congregational running costs is donations to missions and charities. You'll see that our giving to this area is over £76,000. These resources are made available so that we can send people or partner with other agencies to send people across the world and across the street to witness for Jesus Christ. But it's not just pounds. Because our God is a sending God, We also want to make our very selves available to be sent. Chris Wright says that the mission of God's people must include providing a reservoir of those whom God can send. To belong to God's people, therefore, at the very least, includes the availability to be sent. I wonder, is there anybody listening to me just now? with a growing sense that God may want them to serve somewhere with the message of the gospel. We've been thinking about what it means to have a sending God. In a moment, we're going to come back and think some more about what it means to be a sending church. Before we do that, let's pause and sing, What Grace Is Mine? In this simple song, we start by reflecting on the grace of God shown to us in Jesus, and we respond by offering ourselves to follow his call. We're talking this morning about our identity as the people of God. We're people who send and are sent. And so far we've seen, mostly from the Old Testament, that our God is a sending God. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking into the New Testament and thinking about what it means for us to be a sending church. The New Testament tells us about a number of very remarkable sending churches. We start, of course, with the mother church there in Jerusalem. They had heard that powerful Pentecost preaching. They'd experienced deep spiritual fellowship. They had participated in very rich community and in a engaged in dynamic economic compassion. No wonder they experienced such remarkable growth 
and God sending them on out with the gospel. But Jerusalem didn't remain the only centre for the spread of the church. Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, soon became a hub for a mission in the north and in the west. The church there was well placed to be ascending church. It was ethnically mixed. It was well taught by Paul and Barnabas. It was well led by people obviously open to God's spirit. It was these factors that made Antioch such a wonderful ascending church. And then the church in Philippi, it became a foothold for the gospel in Europe. The mission support centre there supported Paul's missionary work further south and around the Aegean Sea. These churches and many others mentioned in the New Testament were all sending churches. Let's take a quick look at that passage which Fiona read for us a moment ago. In Romans 10, Paul's been saying how the gospel is for everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike. In verse 13, he's quoted the prophet Joel. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks the question. The question that every Christian in all times and all places needs to take to heart. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The passage here works as a chain of irrefutable logic. Paul's asking how it is that a person can be saved. And he works his way back through the chain. They'll be saved, he says, by being called, by, by calling on God. But before calling, they'll need to believe. And they can't believe unless they hear. And how will they ever hear unless someone preaches? And preachers need to be sent. The Lord wants our church to send people so that others will be saved. Will we keep doing it? The Lord is sending us so that other people will be saved. Will we continue to go? By the way, I don't know if it's occurred to you yet. At Kirkpatrick Memorial, we're sending all of you, all the time. You know that, don't you? We don't mean necessarily in terms of global travel. That, that won't be for all of us. But we all have front lines. We all have places that God sends us to witness for him. I've heard of a church who made this explicit in their buildings. Above the exit where everyone could see it as they leave the building, they have a sign that says, you are now entering your mission field. What a great idea. That would help us remember that we've been sent to our front lines by the sending God. I've heard of a church that has a notice board. People were sending on mission. Up there are photos of their overseas workers and those who work for mission agencies. But there's also something else. There's a mirror 
when members of that church family look at their missionary board, they see themselves. And so they're reminded that as well as being senders of other people, they are really a people who is being sent. Let me close with a story. Church history tells of wonderful sending churches, and we've already thought about those monks heading out from Bangor across Europe in 600 AD. In 1722, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf welcomed some Christian refugees from Moravia and Bohemia to his estate in Saxony in modern-day Germany. He helped form a Christian community under the name Herrenhut, which means the Lord's Watch. These guys turned the world of their day on its head. In the space of four years, in the 1930s, they started missionary enterprises in the Caribbean, Greenland, Lapland, North and South America, and South Africa. A few years later, they'd begun missionary work in Labrador in Canada, among the Australian Aboriginals, and wait for it, on the border of Tibet. All in the 1730s. Isn't that crazy? Again, that begs the question, what was it about this community that made it so committed to proclaiming the gospel of Christ? What made them so ready to be sent? Well, it seems to me that the answer lies with Zinzendorf himself. As a young man of 19, he was sent to visit all the capital cities of Europe in order to complete his education. And one day he found himself in Dusseldorf's art gallery. He was gazing at Domenico Fetti's Ecce Homo, a painting of Jesus, wearing a crown of thorns. Under the painting, the artist had penned a question as if coming from the crucified Jesus himself. All this I did for thee. What doest thou for me? This image of Jesus, the Lamb of God, suffering in his place, made a huge impact on Zinzendorf. When he founded his movement, he gave them the motto, Our Lamb has conquered, let us follow him. When he sent out his missionaries around the world, he commissioned them with these words, Tell them about the Lamb of God until you can tell them no more. Zinzendorf had been gripped by grace. He'd fallen in love with the Lamb. His life gave a beautiful answer to the question Jesus asked him at the tender age of 19. Let me remind you of that question and let me leave it before you. May your life and mine give worthy answer to. All this I did for thee. What doest thou for me? I've chosen a hymn just now focusing on this call to respond to ascending God. It's called Facing a Task Unfinished. It was written in the 1930s by Frank Houghton, 
the then Bishop of East Sichuan in China. He was also the director of China Inland Mission, the modern-day overseas missionary fellowship. His missional hymn was first sung at mission prayer meetings, but it soon inspired over 200 missionaries to go and to face that task unfinished in China. God used the work uh, of those missionaries, along with others, to grow the Chinese church from one million back then in the 1930s to over a hundred million today. Keith Getty recently wrote a new chorus for this hymn and relaunched the song a few years ago. It's exciting to think that there are millions of Christians in China who can sing this song today along with the descendants of those in the West who responded back then to the call of ascending God. This is the moment in our service when we bring people in events that cause us so much concern and, and place them in the hands of our loving God. As ever, although I have the privilege of leading our prayers, it's important that you join in and you make your own individual requests as well. I'll pause briefly during the prayer to allow some space to do that. Let's all pray now. Father God, thank you for the trust you've placed in us to spread the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We want to play our full part in that great commission, so take us and use us in whatever way you choose to make sure that everyone within our sphere of influence knows all about the grace of God and Jesus. We're thankful for answers to our prayers on behalf of friends and family who have struggled with the coronavirus infection. Especially we want to thank you again for healing and continuing restoration of health in Stanley and Lillian Mills. Thank you for your mercy on them. We're conscious of the stress and anxieties caused by the present lockdown restrictions. For families with loved ones isolated in care homes, we pray especially. May their feelings of helplessness give way to increased trust in your constant love. For employees and employers facing an uncertain future, we pray that your peace and presence will give them renewed hope and trust in your continuing care for them. For those in our own church family who work in health and social care, we say thank you. We pray for their continuing good health. Please protect them from harm and give them energy and focus when fatigue threatens. Above all, help them to be able to give the best possible care to all those in need of it, reflecting the love of Christ in all they do. For our government ministers and health trust managers who have to make crucial decisions regarding the future strategies to progress out of lockdown, we ask for real wisdom. Guide their thinking, their discussions and their communications, we pray. And finally, Father, we would be remiss not to look further afield and bring to you the plight of refugees worldwide. South Sudan and the Yemen, Syrians under bombardment, Rohingyans fleeing 
ethnic cleansing. Father, have mercy and bring an end to violence and the suffering blighting their lives. Thank you for hearing our prayers that we have offered in Jesus' name. We look forward to seeing your power and love clearly displayed in your gracious answers. Folks, we're coming near the end of our service, uh, so I just want to come back and say a few things before we wrap things up. Uh, first of all, a thank you to those who've contributed to today's City of Love gathering, to Billy for leading. Uh, thank you, Billy. Uh, to Garth for encouraging our kids, and to Fiona for reading from God's Word for us. Uh, one more thank you to give out, uh, and that's to the two families who've uh, reached out to me and offered me a bit of help with my study. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the state of my study and particularly the, the notice board uh, that was behind me. People thought it was a bit sad looking. So a couple of weeks ago, the Macquarie's uh, sent me a, a small poster, which I have had up there for a couple of weeks, you might have noticed. And then this week, the Smith family uh, brought me this full-size poster, which you can see behind me here. Uh, the poster's a great job because it it talks about Kirkpatrick Memorial being a community that where we follow Jesus. It references a couple of psalms. As you know, we've been trying to keep our eye on some psalms during this lockdown period. And it even has a comment on there reminding people who are watching the videos to make sure they're watching uh, as a playlist. So well done to the Smiths and thank you so much for sending that poster through this week. Just a few announcement type things. Um, I, I want to talk for a second about praying in the lockdown. If you follow the emails that we're sending out, you'll know that we have made uh, available or invited you uh, to send through any prayer requests if you have. Uh, you'll see that that list of requests is growing. Uh, if you would like us to be praying for you or any situation, please just send an email through to us and we'll include those. Uh, and please start using that list uh, to pray for members of our church family and situations that we're raising. Uh, people are praying uh, individually. They're praying in small groups, in discipleship groups and so on. But we'd love to have a go at all praying together. So if you've been reading the emails, you'll see that we're planning a corporate prayer gathering on Wednesday, the 27th of May uh, at 8 p.m. So that'll be on Zoom. Uh, there'll be an invitation going out to that uh, gathering over the next few days. Keep an eye out for that. And if you can, come and join us on that Wednesday evening and we'll all have a go at praying together. Made for More is a Christian charity working with young people in our schools and our churches throughout Northern Ireland. They'd like over the next six months to try and respond to the massive mental health problems that there are in our teenage community, especially as young people come back out of lockdown. This week, Claire, my wife, is going to be joining with nine other people to try and help raise funds for made for more. They're going to do that by walking a, a virtual Camino de Santiago, uh, that pilgrimage in northern Spain, which you can walk for 500 miles. 
Well, they're going to split that up and walk it between them in their gardens and in the local area. Uh, so Claire has a, a job of walking about 55 miles in the, the five days, Monday to Friday. If you want to learn more about that project, watch the wee three-minute video at the end of this playlist. Uh, details of how to give are in the latest City of Love update email. So have a look there, and if you're minded to give, you can find details there. Uh, don't forget to encourage your children to contribute to the Sunday School's Banner of Hope that they're working on. We want to see a banner uh, giving hope to the people of Ballyhackamore on the rails of our church very soon. Uh, and finally, if you want to contribute to Postcards from Home uh, in the next week, then please make sure your postcards, your photographs are with Claire by 12 noon on Friday to allow some time for editing. Thank you. As we come to the end of this week's gathering, we've said here today that we're people who send and are sent. Sent with the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sent to invite others to come and find their place in the kingdom of our beautiful King. Let's close by singing a song that's really a prayer for the kingdom to come. Build your kingdom here. As we close our service, I want to leave you with some verses from another of Paul's letters, this time to the Roman believers. He said this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs>